is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the country hour in uh, country half hour in uh, the lunch break in the cricket coming up sheep meats heading to India but not big volumes in the near future and communities across the east coast well they had to deal with ongoing floods and recovery one advocate says it's possible to take more than 2 meters off the flood peak by slowing down the flow with vegetation we're working on what we can do in the landscape high up in the watershed to manage water to reduce flooding, build resilience back into our landscape so that we have less of an impact when we have these big rain events and so that we can get productivity out of our landscape. So improve productivity and reduce costs for, for landowners. More on that story shortly. We'll also look at the floods uh, in uh, in and around Fitzroy Crossing. That's coming up shortly. But uh, first, let's find out what's happening with the weather details. Gabriel Woodhouse at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Michael. So a bit of, bit of rain around New South Wales today. There is a little bit of rain. Currently, um, we're seeing a number of thunderstorms develop over the central tablelands and up towards the Upper Hunter and out towards Kinabarabran. There's also a few starting to develop now along the um, northern ranges. So this afternoon, it looks likely that we will see some severe thunderstorm warnings being issued. Um, and similar to yesterday, we are looking at the threat of some heavy rain and some large hail and some pretty gusty winds with these storms. Um, and it looks more likely that that risk will be up through parts of the Upper Hunter and through the Mid-North Coast and potentially up into the northern rivers during the afternoon. OK, sounds like uh, that's a fair, fairly wide area that could be affected, but it's, again, it's sort of thunderstorm activity, a bit hit and miss. Yeah, it is going to be reasonably hit and miss with the thunderstorms in terms of what kind of rainfall we will see. So um, from the storms yesterday, some of the highest falls were um, 49 millimetres at George's Plains um, in the central tablelands overnight and 39 millimetres down at Durangle. Um, elsewhere, the falls have been uh, quite hit and miss and generally of the order of a few millimetres up to about 25 millimetres. But um, similar to that, um, today we're looking at um, some Reasonable falls, um, more likely along the central and northern parts of, of the ranges and also along the southern parts of the coast as we'll see some showers start to sort of set in. And that's really going to be the story for the coming days with uh, showers and cool conditions as well as uh, some fresh southerly winds along the coastal parts for the coming days. So showers uh, sort of settling in across a, a fair uh, fair portion of the state or uh, what, uh, what about the uh, say the west of the state, uh, fairly dry there? Yeah, so once we see this trough move up to the northeast tomorrow, um, where again we'll see the chance of thunderstorms and potentially um, some heavy thunderstorms, inland it looks as though it's going to remain quite dry for the coming days. The thing to watch out for across the inland is that uh, we'll see some of those temperatures warm up a little bit, particularly by later on the weekend and early next week. But after that, uh, we are looking at uh, a trough that will develop um, over the interior of Queensland and whether that will spread a little bit further south into New South Wales and bring some uh, unsettled conditions again to, to the inland areas. But as, as we speak, it's still about a week away, so there's a lot of uncertainty in the forecast as far out. Right, that, that's the ex, that'll be the ex-tropical cyclone moving down potentially that could bring some rain with it. Yeah, indeed. So um, depending on how that uh, decides to track, um, whether it moves a little bit faster and moves through parts of Queensland or whether it slows down and we start to see that trough really um, develop over uh, the inland of New South Wales, that'll determine um, what kind of weather we'll end up seeing during the second half of next week and um, whether we'll see um, some very unsettled conditions or whether it'll be a little bit drier. It's still um, a bit of an unknown quantity at this stage. 
Right, and potentially that could see sort of some of the inland warming up if that sort of rain stays away, but if it, if it comes through, we'll, we'll see uh, cooler and wet conditions. Exactly. I mean, in the, in the short term, we are still expecting those temperatures to warm up over the weekend and into the early part of next week. So by Monday across the Riverina, we're looking at maximum temperatures around, you know, 35 to 38 degrees. Um, a little bit further um, west, we could be getting up to, you know, 38 or 39 degrees on Monday. But it is going to depend on uh, just where that trough is sitting and what kind of cloud and showers and storms we end up seeing. And much cooler as you move sort of more towards the, the coast and some of the uh, higher altitude areas as well. Yeah, so along the coast it is going to be much cooler and it is going to be quite cool for the coming day. So hovering around, you know, 5 to 8, in some places maybe 10 degrees below average along the coastal areas, including along the ranges. Um, and that's going to be due to those southerly winds as well as, you know, cloud and showers around for the coming days. Gabrielle, thanks for that. My pleasure. Gabrielle Woodhouse at the Bureau. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, you might have heard about those huge volumes of rain being dumped in the central Kimberley. Ex-tropical cyclone Ellie has left some parts of the region in an emergency situation with one in 100-year floods. Pastoralists are amongst those counting the cost. Livestock and infrastructure have been lost and there are reports of uh, homesteads that have been uh, completely inundated. Some are completely underwater. Jack Ed Andrews is the chair of the Kimberley Pilbara Cattlemen's Association. There's certainly going to be some damage moving forward. It's just really difficult now at this point in time with this weather system sitting on the top of the body to get airborne and, and really assess what's occurred. There are properties that have got water inundation, flooding that has occurred without going into specifics, but certainly aware of the video of cattle being washed down the river, which is distressing. Certainly no pastoralist wants to see animals being washed down a river and, and certainly a lot of people that run properties up here have been in this area for a long time and they do a lot of early preparation work before the wet season to ensure their cattle are in safe areas, try and mitigate against these circumstances. But obviously this is an unprecedented weather event record river levels, record flooding, heights that haven't been seen before. So very difficult to plan for in a period of the year, I guess, where there are low staff numbers, minimal staff on ground due to people taking holidays because it's normally a great time to get away once you've got surface water. So there's certainly some challenges on that. I'll assure you that every parcelist in the area will be doing their level best to get airborne and, and get proactive as soon as they can to back up the, the work they would have done before the wet season and and get around their stock and see what uh, what needs to be done. Mm. Do you have any idea of the sort of scale of losses that we might be looking at? No, I wouldn't like to take a guess, really. We obviously know there's going to be losses, whether it's in the tens or whether it's in the thousands is, is too hard to tell at this point of view just because no one's got any visual or eyesight across properties at this point in time. That's Chair of the Kimberley Pilbara Cattlemen's Association, Jack Andrews, speaking with Steph Sinclair about those devastating floods, record-breaking uh, one-in-100-year floods that are sweeping through parts of the Pilbara and in- impacting on uh, pastoralists there. Well, staying with livestock, a leading sheep meat exporter says Australia's new free trade agreement with India is a great first step, but there's still a long way to go. The FTA came into effect last week and it cut the 30% tariff on Australian uh, imported lamb and sheep meat to zero. Roger Fletcher is the director of export company Fletcher International. He told Hannah Joes that the agreement was many years in the making and entering the market will take some careful handling. 
Well, it's, it's taken us 10 years to get there. I mean, we've got many Indians coming to Australia and this product's coming here and it's a matter of um, trying to get it back there. And, uh, you know, and Australia's got to understand, um, you know, nearly 50% of their population is farmers, so they've got to protect, they're looking at protecting their patch. And um, we see sheep meat as an important part for them, but it's going to take time to grow the market. And what is the demand in the market for Australian sheep meat like in India at the moment? Um, look, till we, till we get going there, we can't say. I mean, you know, you can get all the consultants and everything else, but you've got to have the practical side of doing it. And uh, it'll be little steps, and uh, we won't be there just thinking you've got to send containers of meat over there and people are going to take it off the wharf. It's not going to happen that way. What segment of the Indian market would, uh, would sheep meat fill? Well, you know, you've got your high-end where you've got a small amount that's going to go into the high-end restaurants and um, hotels. And and then there's another big part for weddings and uh, festivals. And those are things that we've still got to learn about the real Indian culture. We've been on there for many years because we've sold all up there and um, chickpeas and that sort of thing. So we do understand the market, but um, we've still got a lot to learn too. And uh, have our sheep meat exports to India grown over the last few years, or what is the what is the status? Oh, been? No, no, no. It's been impossible to grow because you know the tariffs really. When you put it all together, it's about thirty five percent, and thirty five percent of the gross price when you get to a country makes it just utterly impossible. So there could not be any growth while we had tariffs like that. Are there any issues you're expecting from a trade with India? Any supply chain issues or any other difficulties down the track? Uh, many of difficulties. That's that's no different to every country we deal with. Um, you know, you think we got it. Uh, every country we got getting it off the wharves, getting it into cold storage, which is not geared for it. Um, trucking. Um, now we're we're really responsible. My name's on the carton or on the product till the consumer takes it. So if it's not handled in between, right? Um, we've got a problem, and, and uh, yes, I've got to take ownership of that. It was going to be a very difficult issue. And, uh, but look, that's the challenges we've done with many countries before. It's not, it's not new to us, and, and it's not frightening. It's just a matter of going slowly and not thinking it's just all going to happen. What would you say is the outlook now for your sheep meat exports into India? You, will you be looking to supply a larger part of the market? Oh no no no! We 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 understand it's it's going to grow slowly. If we thought we were going to push in there hard, we would. I think we'll come home very disappointed. And um, I think we just got to take it one one step at a time. We've got to get work the cultures out, work out the the um, logistics. That was Director of Fletcher International, Roger Fletcher, speaking to Hannah Joes. Uh, other things like uh, almonds as well, some reduction in tariffs in pulses too, so some uh, some positive signs in regards to trade with India. So some of those tariffs going uh, from uh, quite high levels. Wine too reduced from 150% uh, to, uh, to zero as well. Some of those big tariff cuffs there uh, for uh, Australian agricultural produce. It's uh, nine minutes to one. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales.
Now, the Department of Primary Industries is reminding beekeepers across the state to carry out mandatory surveillance on their hives as part of an effort to eradicate varroa mite. The department issued an emergency order in September last year requiring beekeepers to conduct alcohol washes every 16 weeks and report the results to DPI so they can track any progress of the mite. There are significant penalties if it's not done and the deadline for reporting on compliance is mid-January. Beekeepers uh, can report uh, or get further information by contacting the DPI by calling 1800 084 881. That's 1800 084 881. They're being reminded by the Department of Primary Industries uh, to carry out that mandatory surveillance of their hives. That's as part of an effort to eradicate varroa mite. It's seven minutes to one. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, we've been talking a lot about flooding lately. What can be done to slow down the flow of water? Maybe looking at vegetation, some other uh, activities on farm as well as communities across the East Coast deal with the ongoing floods and recovery. An advocate of natural sequence farming says it's possible to take more than two metres off the flood peak by slowing the flow. Peter Andrews developed the landscape management system and now his son Stuart Andrews from Tarwin Park Training is working with farmers, landholders and local councils on the north coast of New South Wales to implement it in areas affected by the catastrophic record-breaking floods that we saw last year. And uh, Stuart Andrews told Kim Hone that he's in talks to set up a trial in the region. We're working on what we can do in the landscape high up in the watershed to manage water to reduce flooding, build resilience back into our landscape so that we have less of an impact when we have these big rain events and so that we can get productivity out of our landscape. So improve productivity and reduce costs for, for landowners, which is a major benefit. But the side effect is the effect it has on towns. So towns are constantly affected by floods, by fire, by droughts. And we don't look at the broader landscape for the answers. All the answers, I always say to people, if you've got a problem, always look above in the landscape because the problem is always above you. It's never where you're standing. And we don't do that. Nobody does that. Engineers focus on the site and they think they can solve it on the site without looking above. And so we've always been looking above. That's what we do for farmers and it's no different for for the council. Now you were planning on running this course here in the local region before the catastrophic floods in February. What did you think when you know those floods hit Lismore and surrounds? Oh well I mean it, it's one of those things you, you know you think well if, if we just implement this works across that whole watershed which is a no, no mean feat mind you if we do that then we have the potential to take we think more than two metres off the peak of that flood, which can be the difference between you know houses being flooded and not. And just to see that devastation, to see the, the issues that people have had with housing, there's so many people out there no longer able to live in their house because it's been destroyed, it's heartbreaking. So what sort of work would you have to do to, to take two metres off the, the head of the flood? It's about managing the water high up in the landscape. It's actually not a hell of a lot of work. It's relatively easy to do. We just have to look at how the landscape used to manage water. And what it used to do is it used to store the water in the ground. So water only ran off 
when there was nowhere else to put it. But even then, it would spread it out across the floodplain, spread it out across the landscape, so that it came down over a longer period of time. So rather than get this massive peak of water coming, it came over a longer period of time. It doesn't mean that the town or the area, any area is going to be flooded for longer. It means that you reduce the height on the flood and lower the height over a longer period of time. And is that costly to install that infrastructure on farm? No, it's not costly at all. We, we work on a cost of around about somewhere to four to $600 per hectare would be a fairly reasonable cost. Of course, there's some variabilities in there depending on the type of landscape you're working in. But around about that, that cost is, is where it would be. And here on this property at Clunes this week, what sort of work have you been doing? Yeah, so we've been building some contours here. So we're actually working in a, it's only a very small landscape, but we're, we're actually working high up. So we're up on the hill rather than down on the floodplain, funnily enough. And so if we can manage the water up here, this water is what goes down the bottom and destroys the system. So if we can hold more water in the landscape up here and then plant it out to bigger vegetation, like plant it out to trees and so forth, then those trees help manage that water going into the future. We've got this obsession with planting trees in all of the flow lines, thinking that we're going to save the, the towns from flooding. It doesn't. The trees just get washed away. The trees should be planted up on top of the hill. They have a massive effect on storing water. They have a massive effect on climate because those trees are cooling that climate. So where would you want them? On the highest part of the landscape where they're going to cool. And not that just the trees washed away here, Corndale Hall, just down the road? Yeah, infrastructure. Unbelievable how it's affected infrastructure everywhere. And that's the power of water. We, ca we can't take water lightly. And this landscape, as I've said before, had a massive, amazing ability to be able to handle these massive big rain events. Mm -hmm. And it did it very efficiently. And this week you met with the NRCC. What did they have to say about uh, your ideas? Yes, so it's only, it's only formal um, talks, just very early stage at this stage, but we, we spoke about maybe setting a trial up in somewhere up in the upper watershed so we can actually measure to see what the impact of this works would be to flooding and to water coming down through the system. But as I say, it's only early stages, but we're hopeful that we can set a trial up and, and work together. So it means working with a, with a lot of farmers and maybe with the casino co-op and the members that they have. If we can work with those, we can bring in a whole, lot, whole part of the community to be involved in this um, trial if, if we get it off the ground. And um, where you have implemented your systems elsewhere, have you seen a difference to how it's reduced uh, flood levels and you know, effects? Yeah, it's, this is. We've been doing this work for a long time. We've been doing this work in my family for 40 years. The, the results are already in. We shouldn't really need to do any more trials. But you know, that's what it takes sometimes. We, you know, we we can take a minimum of 28 percent off of the volume of water by working higher up in the watershed. A minimum of so. And every landscape's going to be different. So working from that basis, it's only up from there. Stuart Andrews is a director of Tarwin Park Training. He was speaking there with Kim Honan. You're listening to the Country Hour in the lunch break in the cricket, and it's uh, coming up to one o'clock. But before we uh, head back to the cricket, South Australian fishers, they're trying to assess the impacts of incoming floodwaters that they'll have on their catch. It comes after a bumper year for Coorong mullet, and with large amounts of floodwater, as we know, making their way into the Coorong, it's actually altering the type of fish that we're seeing 
this year. Kurong Wild Seafood owner Tracy Hill says she started to see some changes, but she can't be sure of the full impact just yet. Now we've got the fresh water pushing up the Kurong from the floods in the Murray. It moved the fish from where they normally sit at this time of year and so it's very hard to go hunting for fish. We just have to wait and see what, what eventuates. I mean, they're, they're worried about black water events and you know fish kills and things like that, but we haven't seen anything like that at the moment. There's been a couple of uh, reported of fish kills, but nothing of anything major. It's just been localised in, in its backwater or a small areas. And has it been impacting the amount of fish around? Last year was probably one of the best mullet years we've ever had. And we've been fishing for 30 years. So we, we were getting mullet all through the year. It was, it was been a, it's been a great year on mullet. Uh, unfortunately, because of the flows, the mulloway haven't come in the mouth like they normally do um, over summer. So we won't be seeing any mulloway until that flow stops and it doesn't look like it's stopping anytime soon. So it's probably going to be a lean couple of months for fishing especially while the wind is coming up every evening and making it unsafe to go fishing. So coming off a bumper year, are you hopeful 2023 will be the same? Well, there's always uncertainty with wild catch fishing. You can No two years are ever the same. Uh, I remember when the millennium drought broke, we had about 12 months where we were you know, not catching a lot of, a lot of fish. So the fish behave how they behave, and but the ecosystem will flourish. And, and we know that this push of fresh water, once everything settles down, will, be, will have been great for the ecosystem. So you sort of just have to ride it out and, and wait for conditions to improve. But we've been, like I said, we've been fishing for over 30 years and you know, we've, we've seen fish stocks come and go over those years and sometimes you have a really good bumper season and sometimes you don't. So the good thing about this fishery being a multi-species fishery is that when usually one species isn't available, another one is. So just before this flood water came down, the flounder were really increasing in catches and also black brim have recovered with the better management of the water so there are other species out there to catch it's just we're just going to have to wait till these floodwaters subside and then we can see what's out there. Tracy Hill from Kurong Wild Seafood speaking there with Elsie Adamo. You're listening to The Country Hour it's uh, two minutes past one let's go to markets. Let's go to Carcor first up and David Monk. Good afternoon and Happy New Year everyone. The first half of the year produced a small yarding of just 3,100 lambs at CTLX. It was a mixed yarding with only odd pens of well-finished trade and heavyweight lambs mixed throughout. There were fair numbers of light new season lambs, both Sean and Woolley. Lambs lacking weight and finish were cheaper, while the better heavier trade weight new season lambs and Sean lambs sold at similar rates to the pre-Christmas sale. Lightweight lambs to the processors weighing 12 to 18 kilograms sold from 80 to 120, while lightweight lambs to the restockers sold from 48 to 134. Trade weight new season lambs sold from 110 to 170, while the trade weight old lambs sold from 136 to 185. A few heavyweight lambs were also firm, with the lambs over 24 kilograms selling from 183 to 214. There were 820 mutton yatter which sold at dearer rates to the pre-Christmas sale. Crossbred ewes sold from 98 to 140, while merino weathers sold from 72 to 102. This is David Monk at CTLX for MLA. Let's go to Yash Sheep and Lambs now and Jenny Kelly. Good afternoon. Small yarding of just 3,800 lambs and 3,200 sheep to kick off selling at Yass this year. The yarding was plain with only limited pens of properly finished trade lambs and no good heavy exports. 
the bulk of the offering being store lambs. A few regular buyers weren't back operating yet. The price trend for the better sort of lambs was firm to a few dollars dearer, but on limited quotes. Store lambs, particularly the smallest types, lost 5 to $10 in places with less restocking activity. The best shorn lambs up around 27 kilos carcass weight sold to $209 and similar suckers to 207 Ones under 24 kilos, the general run of trade lambs made from $155 to $185. Crossbred store lambs with frame, $117 to $140. And the smaller store lambs, $68 to $115. Mutton sold at similar price levels to late last year. Heavy crossbred ewes, $120 to $132. Middle run of sheep, $80 to $110. And light mutton down to $54. Jenny Kelly for MLA. And before we go, uh, just some news out of WA. The CBH Group have set uh, two records in WA, shipping over 2 million tonnes of grain and moving over 1 million tonnes by rail over the last month. That brings the total for the harvest to over 5 million tonnes. That's up 57% on last year. Let's head back to the cricket now at five past one.